That is a hymn from our hymnal, and it is unique because ours is the only hymnal in the world that has it. But it's very appropriate, and it goes well with what I'm preaching on today. So thank you for your ministry of music. And Happy New Year. I'm Pastor Joy. Welcome. Welcome to those of you who are here in body and those of you who are gathered in spirit at your home with your family or with the Holy Spirit and yourself or your pets. Welcome. Happy New Year. So this is the end of the sermon series, beginning of the year, end of the sermon series. Uh, Today we end our focus on Advent in exile, which would really at this point be called Christmas in exile, uh, because it still is Christmas. It's the 10th day, if you wondered. Christmas is a 12-day celebration, Uh, 10 lords a-leaping. Anyway, so uh, if you haven't listened to this series and are just tuning in, either in person or to the podcast or the live stream, I really do encourage you to go back and listen to the preceding sessions. This has been sort of like a chapter book. And how we've heard the words of Isaiah to the Hebrew people as they were exiled in Babylon, 500 miles from home. How they were taken as slaves in chains. And in the center portion of Isaiah, Isaiah offers comfort to these exiles. He offers them hope. He offers them these things by reminding them of who God is and what God is going to do. But Isaiah isn't the only prophet who speaks directly to the exiles. There's a ton of other biblical literature, either written to the exiles or written during exile, influenced by exile, we could say. And so today we're going to hear from another prophet, Jeremiah, who was writing early on in the exile between the years of 597 and 587 B.C., Jeremiah was a priest in Anathoth, a small village outside Jerusalem. He witnessed bad kings and one good king, Josiah, reign in Jerusalem. And then he witnessed the Babylonian conquest and multiple deportations of his countrymen to Babylon. He witnessed the destruction of Solomon's temple. And in his book of collected writings, which we call Jeremiah, he offers the word of the Lord in clear instruction about how to live in this exiled existence in Babylon. The clear instruction is in the form of a letter. The Isaiah texts we've been hearing are poetry, but the letter, because it's a letter, is pretty straightforward. So I invite you to stand today as we hear the word of the Lord together. From Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 1, and then verses 3 through 14. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It, the letter, said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. 
plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let the prophets and the diviners whom are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, Only when Babylon's seventy years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, and this you is plural, so it's like y'all. For surely I know the plans I have for y'all, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give y'all a future with hope. Then when y'all call upon me and come pray to me, I will hear you all. When y'all search for me, you will find me. If y'all seek me with all y'all's heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather y'all from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you all, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may go ahead and be seated. And I can say y'all, because I grew up in the South, and that's a little-known secret, So, but these are instructions to exiles, and they are pretty clear. There's a lot of imperatives. That means commands. So let's look at the commands in this passage. First, build houses and live in them. These aren't vacation homes. They're not tents. They are residential. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. So when you plant a garden in this time, it's a perennial garden. There's a sort of planning for the future. Get married, have kids, and help your kids get married and grow in number. Now, what Jeremiah is doing here is he's referencing Genesis. He is rehearsing God's command to humanity in Genesis 1.28 when God says, be fruitful and multiply. It's the same verb. It's the same verb tense. It's referencing what we call in biblical theology the creation mandate, caring for the created world and filling it. Just like in the beginning, God is again turning chaos into order and inviting humanity to garden and to fill the world. And and just a note about the Hebrew here, the words that are grow in number and decrease, they're contrasts, right? But in Hebrew, they rhyme. So it creates this beautiful literary contrast we can't hear in English. It's u-rebu timatu, so they rhyme. Increase, don't decrease. Another imperative Seek the welfare of the city. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Now, to the exiles, this would be a surprise. Because that means that even in Babylon, even when you're far from the temple that no longer exists, the Lord is hearing your prayers. He's hearing the prayers of his exiled people. And then there's also another surprise. Usually the exiles would pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But here they're commanded to pray for Babylon. Pray, pray, not just for your hometown, Jerusalem. Pray for where you're currently living, even when you hate it. And there's a promise God offers here. 
that when it prospers, you too will prosper. Flourish would be another word to use there. And then finally, the last command, do not listen to the prophets and diviners who are among you. Do not listen to the dreams they dream. Be careful, in other words, be careful about who's your teacher. Be discerning, be real discerning. So to sum it up, what Jeremiah is telling these exiles is you are no longer just refugees. You are no longer just exiles. You are residents. This is your home now, not your forever home, but your home for now. And so act like it. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens for food. Again, just like that garden God planted in Genesis 2. Increase, don't decrease. Don't say the world is such a horrible place, I just can't bear to bring children into it, right? This is not that, right? Pray for the city and don't listen to those false prophets. These are the instructions to the exiles. And it's followed by these wonderful promises of flourishing. You probably know that one verse that I read, right? The refrigerator magnet verse that you can pin your diet plan under. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. But these plans are preceded by commands, imperatives about how to live. If this, then this. If these instructions are followed, then this flourishing, then this result. Because God's plan for the exiles includes their own obedience to the instructions of this letter. And this is key. And so obedience to God is part of our life in exile. Because there's work to be done. Daily work, family work, relationship work, the work of prayer, the work of discernment. And I think that this instruction is valuable for us who live in exile, as we've been talking about too. Because over 500 years after this letter was written, another letter was written by Jesus' friend Peter, who wrote to Christians, small house churches, who he addressed as exiles. Now, that's kind of strange. These people really weren't exiles. They hadn't been sent out of their hometowns. They were probably living in the same place they grew up in. But Peter is starting to use this language of exile as a metaphor, recognizing with the church that their true residential identity or their true nationality is now as citizens of God's kingdom. So wherever they live, whatever country they live, whatever their country of origin, they are exiles. Not a literal sense, like Jeremiah's folks, but a spiritual sense. And this is where we see exile really becoming a biblical uh, metaphor that we can understand ourselves as too. So in Peter's letter, he writes, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles, remember they're not literally aliens and exiles, to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, that means the non-believers in this context, so that though they may malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. For it is God's will that by doing right you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And I think that we need to hear these instructions today from Jeremiah's and Peter's letters because it is easy to do exile wrong. It is easy to do exile wrong. 
recognizing our own Excel can be really helpful, and it's good to start there. But I do want to offer a bit of caution to us. Because throughout this series, I've heard people communicate how this identity of exile makes sense, how it helps you approach your daily life, how in moments of cultural whiplash, you are comforted by thinking, I am just an exile here. And I am really glad to hear that's helpful. That's part of been my purposes for the sermon series. But we cannot remain there. And I want us to move into a deeper identity today. Because simply and only thinking of ourselves as exiles can have a few dangers, and we're going to look at those together. So there are three temptations, three equal temptations, to identifying as spiritual exile, even though that's good. So the first temptation is assimilation. To compromise in order to fit the dominant culture. To compromise in order to fit in. So you don't look or act like you're from a different place. So you fit in perfectly. Now, there's a lot of examples I could use about this, but I've been convicted by the Spirit to really identify one today, so I'm going to use it. Um, In our culture here in in the western suburbs, there is a lot of Sunday morning sports for kids, especially during normal times, maybe not now. And I hear a lot of Christian parents say, well, that's how it is. My kid wants to be in sports, so we're going to participate in Sunday morning sports. I I think that's assimilation, my friends. Because keeping the Sabbath holy, worshiping and gathering together with a diverse body of believers is the fourth commandment. It's part of the foundation of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live and represent Christ wherever you are. And it is vital for our faith to gather together and to worship together all ages on Sundays. And by making sports a priority over Sunday worship, we are teaching our children that sports are the priority over faith. Because gathering together is so important in how God and the Spirit work among us. So this might be, during this this sort of time of pause because of COVID stuff, this might be one of the ways God wants to grow us all this year. And so if you're one of these families who who struggle with this decision, because it's a legitimate struggle, and you'd like to talk about one of your Talk about this with one of your pastors. Please know that we're here for you. We'd love to meet with you and pray with you about this. But because I don't want to single anybody out, um, here are some other examples of assimilation. Contemporary sexual ethics. Prioritizing the individual over the community. Believing that the false narrative, that the spiritual faith is simply just something private and, and not public, not to be shared with other people. How we approach creation care, our attitudes towards money and time, and whether or not we prioritize spiritual practices, and all these things can be assimilated. We we have to remember, my friends, that our identities in Christ are those of a new creation. Paul wrote, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. We are new in Christ. And so our lives and our whole lifestyle need to reflect that. That's one response, one temptation. The second temptation is withdrawal. It's quite different from assimilation. In, in withdrawal, we might look for places of refuge for ourselves and our families. So we sort of adapt Christian everything, Christian schools, Christian radio, Christian news. And it's really easy in our culture to sort of build up an entire structure of protection, a kind of Christian enclave, not interacting with the outside world. 
And for some of us, this is a really tempting option. And there is some wisdom in it. I mean, we do have a history of monasticism, of people retreating to grow deeper. But it can also keep us from having to deal with the real world in which we live and in which we were sent. It's sort of like putting your head in the sand and your fingers in your ears and being like, la, 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 Jesus, la, 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 right? You miss out on what's going on and what God has called us into. The final temptation is anger, which is usually fueled by fear. Contempt and complaint toward the Babylonian culture. Hatred and resentment to those around us. We we see this represented in scripture in Psalm 137, which you're never going to hear the whole thing read in church. This psalm was written early on in the exile. If you're looking it up, I'm talking about the last verse. And at the end of the psalm, the psalmist calls down a blessing on anyone who takes the Babylonians' babies and dashes their heads against a rock. This is an example of anger. And it is, exam- and it is in contrast to God's perspective of compassion. Like what God said to Jonah about Nineveh. God said, and should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? Instead of anger, we are called to respond in love as Jesus taught. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. These are all temptations. And I think probably based on our own histories and personalities, we're going to kind of, as individuals, have a tendency to do one more than the other. So as you look at these these with me, let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal our tendency so that the, the new person in Christ can come through as we learn to respond to our exile in ways that God has shown us in Scripture. Which one of these are yours? One thing that they all do have in common, I think, is that they're all built on a faulty premise. Often we might assimilate because we believe that the world is getting better, that the arc of history bends toward justice. Or we might withdraw or become angry because we believe that the world is getting worse, that Generation Z is worse than the millennials, that Generation X is worse than the baby boomers, that it was better in 1921 than in 2021. But this is really an incorrect and unbiblical view of human nature. All humans are sinful. All humans are made in the image of God. In 1935, during a worldwide economic depression, the British theologian and philosopher G.K. Chesterton wrote the following, The world is what the saints and the prophets saw it was. It is not merely getting better or merely getting worse. There is one thing that the world does. It wobbles. Left to itself, it does not get anywhere, though, if helped by real reformers of the right religion and philosophy, it may get better in many respects and sometimes for considerable periods. Life in itself is not a ladder, it is a seesaw. This exile we live in, friends, it's it's an exile in a wobbly world. God's people always have and always will live in this wobbly world until Christ comes again and makes all things new. 
So the question is, how do we live in this wobbly world? Especially if Pastor Joy is saying assimilation, withdrawal, and anger aren't the responses God has for us. So I want us to rethink this, right? So invite us all as exiles to really become exiles in residence. Maybe another word would be ambassadors. Ambassadors who seek the good of the city, even Illinois, even cold and traffic-ridden and sometimes corrupt and in debt, Illinois. We are called to pray for our city, for our state, for Hinsdale. So let's review that letter. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. And this is, a, this is an act practice toward hope, right? That the world isn't getting worse. Multiply there. And do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And there are characters in scripture who followed Jeremiah's instructions in this letter. Daniel, he prayed three times a day. It had a negative result at one point, right? He also did not assimilate to the culture of the Babylonians, but he was influential in, the, in what was going on. Esther seeks both the good of her city and the good of her people. All forms of service to our world are ways of seeking the welfare of the city. So if you're a stay-at-home parent or a student, if you're in finance or law or healthcare, if you're a teacher or a professor or a software engineer, if you're a business owner or a grandparent or maybe both, <laughs> many of us fit into more than one of these descriptions, right? If you're in human resources or sales, God has called you to seek the good of the city, seek the good of the people and the places where you live because God has sent us. Did you hear that language? Where I sent you. God sent his people into the Babylonian exile. Yes, they were taken by Nebuchadnezzar, but God also sent them. And so he's also sent us wherever we live and wherever we work. Not just pastors. We always think of pastors as being sent. But all of us to actively care about where we live. To flourish it through work that benefits people. That benefits gardens that benefits relationships with one another. And I want to be clear because Jeremiah focuses a lot on, on families, which is great, but I also want to include people who are single in this, right? The family of God needs all of us and our unique gifts and single people too, the unique gifts and resources you have. We have to remember, despite Jeremiah's emphasis on family, that Jeremiah himself wasn't married, and also neither was our Lord and Savior Jesus. God uses single people. Don't feel excluded because of the family talk. And so if we are the exiles in residence, if we are ambassadors, that means that our homes and our church building itself kind of becomes the embassy. Now, if you have ever lived in an expat community, I know some of you have, um, and what this is like, and I have, and I've visited some of them too, uh, you, you kind of know, it helps you understand this a bit more. When I'm in Paris, I like to visit the American church in Paris. Obviously, this church is English-speaking, uh, and it's Protestant, 
It does have American in its title, but that's you know, from almost 200 years ago. But it, it's a very multinational church, actually. People from all over the English-speaking world attend this church, and they find a sort of double home there. A home as Christians in a very secular city, but also a linguistic home. And for some, a cultural home. There's a Filipino fellowship and an African fellowship. But the church itself serves as an embassy for Christ. What unifies the diverse members of this congregation is that, yes, they're all in Paris for work or diplomacy, but it's really that they center their lives and faith with this congregation as ambassadors, not for America, but for Christ. And that is the same for us. We could simply replace this picture with a picture of our church building, and it would be the same for us because we are united and unified by Christ. This church building... Our homes are embassies of the kingdom of God. And so the idea with an embassy is that when someone, someone comes there, when they visit our church or our homes or interact with us at our work as ambassadors, they're interacting with the representative of the kingdom of God, with kingdom ambassadors. And so the character of God that we represent is experienced through Christ in us. I've never been to an embassy But I imagine that if, for some reason, say I got invited to the Mexican embassy in the United States for a meal, they probably wouldn't serve lasagna. You know what I mean? We expect the embassy to represent the culture of the kingdom that it is, right? And so that's our church building. That's our lives. That's our homes. And that's why Peter's words are so helpful for us as ambassadors. He's telling these exiles how to be, to act honorably as they represent God by doing good and honoring, not hating those with whom they're exiled, those to whom they're sent. And so we do this now in 2021 in our homes and in our building and our living through relationships that are fruitful and multiplying, whether that's family or friends, through praying and seeking the good for our city. And this is the work of peace and intercession. And through careful discernment, this is important, about what voices we listen to, there have always been false prophets, but they are much more easily accessible because of technology. So just as Jesus came in a real time and a real place, we are sent in real times and real places, and it is messy. But this is the work of being an ambassador of hope, an ambassador of reconciliation, an ambassador of Christ. So will you, my friends, join this embassy? Will you partner with God in where he has sent you? Will you move beyond postures of assimilation and withdrawal and anger to respond to God's action of sending you here and now? As I mentioned lasagna, you know, I do think that diplomacy happens well over a meal, right? Those of you in business know this, and I wonder during this season if it's been harder to develop new business relationships over Zoom than over a steak. But it is through a meal, this meal here, that Jesus invites us to join in the work in the world as we are reminded of who and whose we are together as we, the body of Christ, take and eat the body of Christ. So ambassadors, let's celebrate the feast. So today, my friends, come to this table. Aliens, exiles, temporary residents, and ambassadors.